Hi, this is Natalie Gawkner. I represent the political center, and this is Both Sides of the Aisle. John Dougal represents the political right. Hi, Natalie Gawkner. How are you? I am great. So good to be with you this week, John. And Shireen Gorbani represents the political left. I sure do. Hey, listeners. Happy holidays. Thanks for tuning in. It is a holiday thanks week. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We had a little glitch last week and a few episodes hadn't dropped, but they're out there now. Yeah, enjoy them. And uh, now we get to talk about Pope Francis on both sides of the aisle. <laughs> I um, have always... It's a blessed day. It's a blessed day. It's a blessed season. Um, but he's, uh, he's got a new ruling out. I don't know what you call it, but he's formally approved a document uh, from the Vatican's doctrinal office that for the first time allows priests to bless same-sex couples so long as it does not resemble a wedding. Um, I thought this was terrific news. Um, I loved it when a pope becomes pastoral rather than rule-based and essentially saying that even if you're a sinner in this person's mind, you are deserving of a blessing. A blessing. Yeah. So I, this is the religion that's probably closest to home for me. Mm-hmm. I, um, my mom was Lutheran. I, this is a joke, but true. My mom was Lutheran, but mostly a feminist. My dad was um, Muslim, but actually mostly an alcoholic. And then my um, education was largely in the Catholic school system. So I got to know the Catholic faith well, and also came up, um, I think, as a theater kid or just kind of a kid in the space of having a lot of queer friends. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that the history of what's happened, I think, with lots of queer people in intersecting with faith is incredibly painful. And I feel like this is just such a move of grace, of inclusivity. Um, It's a wonderful, I think, opportunity for people to have that connection still back to something that often is really defining um, in the kind of broader landscape of who they are. Right. John, your comments. Well, this is one of those interesting things. I mean, you talked about pastoral, and that's one of the things I think in religion we struggle with is how do we reach out and, if you will, love the sinner without you know, encouraging the sin, whatever that might be. And so it's one of those things. How do you how do you bless somebody? How do you help and support somebody? But I think he's going to also get some blowback and push back on what the dynamics look like. And there's going to be some practicalities of when does the blessing look like a wedding and when does it not? And so there's it'll be some interesting dynamics. I'm not I'm not that familiar with the Catholic faith and stuff like that. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think what it signals is a, a willingness to recognize and appreciate all people regardless of their point of view. And I think that's a beautiful thing for faith to do. Um, you know, faith is really about your relationship with your maker. <laughs> Nothing could be more personal. Yeah. And I, you know, in my personal faith and in my faith tradition, nobody gets between that. And so this is, I think, a really nice move. So Big kudos to Pope Francis uh, during this holiday season. Uh, John, you were back in Washington uh, this past week. I was there also during some of this time. What a city, huh? And what a time to visit Washington. Give us, give our listeners some perspective, and then we can go through some you know, current well, t- issues. Well, tell me what took you back, because I think I w- you were there a couple of days before I was there. Yeah, I went back because the University of Utah opened the Hatch Center. This is a block off of DuPont Circle, and it's this phenomenal uh, place where we will house up to 50 uh, student interns as they uh, have that amazing experience uh, back in Washington, D.C., serving in nonprofits with uh, elected officials. And the Hatch Center um, has helped make this happen. And it's a it's a gathering place for not only the University of Utah, but all of Utah in Washington, D.C. So mine was a big celebratory moment, a ribbon cutting, if you will. And I was there. I spent two days on the Hill, Tuesday and Wednesday. 
And it was this interesting dynamic because the Senate was hoping to get done Tuesday night and leave town for the holidays. Mm -hmm. And then they got extended to Wednesday and extended to Thursday and all those dynamics. And then there was some uh, wondering whether or not they were going to show up, you know, for this week. And then they got told they didn't have to come back. Um, basically the senators were saying, no way, no how, we don't have something to work on. So why are we even going to bother? And then on the house, you had some of those agitations of folks wanting to get out for the holidays, but, mm -hmm. but you had the NDAA. So the national defense authorization act was, was looming. And, and you have all the dynamics where you've got a, a thousand plus page bill wheeled on, on a big cart, um, <laughs> where in essence, nobody has a chance to read it. Yeah. And it's being pushed through and stuff's getting dropped in at the last minute and other things like that, you know, you talk about the Surveillance Act and, and that getting dropped into the bill. And there's, you know, controversies and debates about yeah. that. And so it, it's, a, it's a fascinating place in terms of the dynamics they, they deal with. And it's also a very dysfunctional place because from my perspective, I'm used to a, a place like Utah where we can get things done and we can disagree, mm -hmm. but we can move forward on different things. And so I look at D.C. and say, man, there's a lot of stuff they do back there that really should be done in the states because – you know, California and, you know, Texas see things so differently. Why are we trying to feud at the federal level? Let's just let Texas and California do a lot of their own stuff. Shereen, I don't know what you make of all that, but like a lot of spaghetti, right, of what John's experiencing in D.C. where, you know, don't get in the way of a senator or a congressman trying to get to Reagan National. Thursday night, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But well, that part's clear, and the rest of it is sort of, I'm using the term spaghetti, but this idea of, layering on things onto bills, not knowing whether you're going to be in session, whether you're not, you know, endless division and disagreement. Yeah. And I recently heard a stat that this Congress has passed 11 bills. So to just <laughs> put that in perspective, we are spending millions of dollars when we think about the amount of I, I think congressmen make about $180,000 a year. You think about the staff that goes along with that to make those offices work, work, <laughs> In quotations, air, air quotes, listeners, um, both here, right, in, in state, in your district, and then also in D.C. And the level of dysfunction, I think, is something that is not lost on the American people. When you look at the approval ratings of Congress, when you look at kind of people's sentiment about mm -hmm. what's happening, I think it's reflected really clearly in what is going on in terms of the lack of um, efficacy, efficiency, really serving the people that they're sent there to serve. Yeah. All right. So... John, let's go back to you and just hit a couple of things that have happened. Um, so the GOP uh, House formalized uh, the Biden impeachment inquiry. Any commentary on that? Um, so so I get the concern they have, you know, Hunter Biden and everything else like that. Clearly, there's been criminal charges brought against him and stuff like that. Some pretty serious ones there. So we'll have to see those dynamics. Um, the House is going to have to show more than uh, three $1,400 car payments or whatever to Joe Biden if they're really going to make the case. Okay. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I, it's one of those things I think we're going to see more and more of impeachment thrown back and forth on, on yeah, both sides of the yeah. aisle going forward. That's a new yeah. normal, I think. Uh Unfortunately, uh, Shireen, all four of Utah's Republicans uh, voted to authorize the impeachment inquiry. Yeah, I think this is disappointing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there were many clips circulating over the last week of Democrats asking, what are the charges here? Right. And the people who are leading the charge who are in committee, right, trying to advance this work were unable to answer that question in a meaningful way. And I think this idea that, oh, we're going to 
the evidence will come. When we think about the seriousness of what happened with Donald Trump, the impeachment that happened, there were very clear issues that were being tied back to what he had done, the conduct. That is not on the table with, with Joe Biden, though certainly very concerning behavior from Hunter Biden. Yeah. I wondered if the if the Utah you know, delegation would split, but yeah. they didn't. Uh, we also had Hunter Biden uh, defying a GOP subpoena <laughs> and actually standing and have a press event out in front of the Capitol. I thought that was rather interesting. Um, probably a pretty smart move just from a, you know, managing a crisis. Well, perhaps smart for him. Yeah, I'm not that's sure what it was I mean. smart for Joe Biden, but it was. Okay. You know. Tell us what you mean. Well, I, I think it puts Joe Biden in a, a difficult situation and only fosters the impeachment clamoring even more and more. I think for Hunter Biden, if his concern is they're going to selectively leak out what I say and stuff like that, yeah. then I want it in an uh, open public meeting. Um, now, what they've said is they, they were going to release the whole transcript of the deposition, everything else like that. So, I mean, the the selective leaking um, is, in theory, not as much of a concern. But I can see Hunter wanting to say, hey, let's let's put it all out there. Now, maybe he's trying to call a bluff and he's hoping they won't actually do it and he won't actually yeah. have to go testify. But I think I think it's a short-term stunt for Hunter, but I think there's going to be long-term ramifications for it. Shireen, you and I smiled at each other because we talk a little bit about the performative art of politics. And, yeah. and here you go, um, you know, Biden saying, hey, I'm willing to testify, but make it a public hearing. And uh, and and so great point. But then when it becomes a public hearing, it's a performance. Yes, it's a performance. <laughs> so I, I don't again, I don't think this is really work that's serving the American people. Yeah. Amen. Uh, okay, let's for the last part of this segment, let's talk about what uh, the former President Donald Trump did this week where he ramped up his anti-immigrant rhetoric in a really serious way, talking about poisoning the blood of this country. Yeah. Why don't you go on this one first, Shereen? Okay, so this is a direct link can be drawn between this kind of rhetoric and rhetoric that was frequently um, and pervasively used by Hitler. Okay, mm -hmm. um, It also ties into this kind of greater notion of replacement theory, which is this belief that white people are being replaced um, in this country by people of color um, through the mixing of races, through immigration. Uh, this is an old trick for him, though it is, I think, increasing in its intensity and violence. Mm -hmm. Certainly, in contradiction to when you think about the work you're trying to do with the Dignity Index, mm -hmm. this is the exact opposite end of that scale. This is dehumanizing. And I think what's even more upsetting is then to watch people, Lindsey Graham and others, who were asked about this language, just say, I'm not concerned about what he said in a rally. I'm concerned about, you know, deflecting, basically. It is not acceptable to allow this kind of rhetoric to be deflected. Yeah. It needs to be addressed head on. John, one, you know, part from the quote, he essentially says, you know, they're coming into our country from Africa, from Asia. Wow. You know, as if these people aren't brothers and sisters. <laughs> yeah. You know, in, well, the, in the worldview. Well, you talked about performative politics and uh, uh, I'm, I don't think anybody does it better than Donald Trump in terms of performative politics. And so if you step back and say, if this is really about the debate about immigration, border security, and so forth, there's valid concerns there and stuff like that. He's just likely amping up to the nth degree to get attention. Yeah. Stay tuned. I'm Natalie Gawkner with John Dougal and Shereen Gorbani. Shereen Gorbani on the left. John Dougal on the right. Natalie Gawkner in the Political Center, and this is Both Sides of the Aisle. Before we go to local news, let's just chat for just a minute about Rudy Giuliani. I just can't resist doing this. Um, uh, 
What a miserable um, sort of. You've got 148 million sitting around, Natalie. <laughs> I think you want some help. He's got a defamation suit for 148 million, Shireen. I, I just have to say this. Uh, during the Olympics, you know, he was the America's mayor, and I had a precious moment with him at the Capitol where um, he was supposed to be introduced, and I was his escort, and we got way behind schedule, and I'm behind the, the you know, curtains with him for 20, 25 minutes while we're waiting for him to be introduced. I was supposed to be there for two minutes with him. Yeah. And I had this conversation with him, and I just idolized the man. I thought he was so amazing. He was, you know, this Republican that was, uh, you know, changing the nature of, of Gotham and New York City. And he was so uh, empathetic and yeah. helpful to the, you know, 9-11 survivors. And I thought he had just such a bright future. And to see him go down like this. Wow. Quick commentary. Uh, yeah, he's gone down. I mean, for, <laughs> for many folks, they, they have the thoughts that you had, which is he's America's mayor coming out on 9-11. And then to watch some of the antics and dynamics and, and embarrassments and stuff like that for yeah. a lot of folks. And then he's in a situation where my understanding is financially he's hurting. Mm -hmm. There's no way he's paying $148 million. I don't even think you could pay a million bucks right now, it sounds like. so. Yeah, yeah, it's an incredible and, and truly disheartening fall from grace. But I think it's... Uh, something that is likely in store for more of Trump's close um, confidants. And I have to say, something that I will always be grateful for from Rudy Giuliani was the press conference at Four Seasons Total Landscaping. I believe they also released a statement that they have not been paid for the rental of the podium that they put up outside of the uh, landscaping business. So the uh, well, Four Seasons is awesome. For, four Seasons <laughs> is awesome, but the pervasiveness of just the inability to conduct business on top of the perpetuation of, of lies and um, really protecting a person who is deeply dangerous to our democracy, mm. I think, is concerning on all fronts. All right. So in local politics, lots of things going on. Uh, let's break down a few of these. Uh, the first one I'd like to go to is uh, Representative John Curtis showing a big lead over rivals uh, for the U.S. Senate race. This is uh, Senator Romney's seat. They're showing in a hypothetical head-to-head -head with the former House Speaker, um, Brad Wilson, that Curtis gets 44% to Wilson's 12. Any surprise there for the two of you? I would say no. Uh, a big part of um, both, I think, the, the glory and pain of being Speaker of the House is you have an incredible amount of power and impact on the day-to-day -day lives of Utahns. Most Utahns have no idea who that person is. I especially think now that we've had a change. Especially of the local, the local. state speaker people no, don't know no idea i mean we're still having a hard time remembering mike johnson but but i think um when we think to the local level having this change brad wilson who was there i think who you know really commanded led a group of people who are largely republicans who are honestly quite politically diverse had a lot of success in moving forward his agenda the agenda of republicans in this state most Utahns have no idea. They certainly don't know that Mike Schultz is in that in that seat now. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the uh, biggest part of this, honestly, is name ID. Mm -hmm. and probably has very little to do with with the political um, persuasions of mm -hmm. either of these candidates. I don't know, John, what's your read well, on that? And one of the dynamics of uh, Greg Hughes when he ran for governor had the difficult situation of learning that nobody knows who the speaker is when he was running for governor. He just assumed everybody knows who the speaker is, just like everybody knows who the governor is. And that's not reality. Um, the other dynamic is, is, is clearly, uh, you know, uh, right now,
it's name ID. So John Curtis has better name ID based on the polls. And you get into a race and you push people's positives, you push their negatives. Lots of other dynamics are going to come into play. Yeah, it's early. I was jotting down some of the former speakers. Uh, you mentioned Greg Hughes, Marty Stevens, similar thing. Uh, you know, put his hat in the governor's race. It didn't go anywhere. Uh, Nolan Karras thought about being governor, uh, ran for governor, didn't go anywhere. These are all former speakers. Yeah. Uh, Greg Curtis was a speaker. You don't, you don't hear about Greg a lot these days, still active and around, but you know. Well, here was the dynamic for Greg. So um, yeah. I know Greg well. Um, he represented a district he grew up in, mm-hmm. um, been in the legislature 16 years, was speaker for four years, was on the page of the paper, like I swear every other day. Mm-hmm. He only had 10% name ID. In his district. Well, yeah, that's statewide, something. but that's in something. his district. So the exception to all this is Norm Bangeter, who was speaker and then became governor. But but it's they call it you know the speaker effect, which means that it's it's not as um, you know prominent great, as you think. It's not a great platform. Yeah. I will say that do not underestimate Brad Wilson. Brad Wilson is uh, very talented. He's very smart. He's a great campaigner. Uh, he's well funded, and he will. Uh, establish his conservative credentials, which I think Curtis will struggle with. And it's not that, you know, I don't uh, feel comfortable with Curtis on a whole variety of ways, but don't um, underestimate what Brad Wilson will do. Okay. Salt Lake County Mayor Jenny Wilson uh, announced this week that she's seeking re-election. I thought she had perfect timing. There was a ton of media about it. Uh, You know, she made her case. Uh, Shireen, I'm I'm super excited that she's done this. Yeah. So um, Mayor Wilson has a long legacy of service to the county, being a county council member, um, and then moving into the role uh, through special election and then winning election during COVID, which was a hard time, I think, to to really move uh, voters, right? Mm-hmm. There was a lot of, um, I would say, anger and, and uh, disapproval in different ways about what was happening just generally at that time. So to see her win re-election then and then announce now, I think is good for the county. I think when we have stability of leadership, especially somebody who is so knowledgeable when it comes to really the nuts and bolts of county government, she knows it well. Um, and I think she's a strong leader in that sense. Yeah. John, she brought up her work in affordable housing, homelessness, parks and trails, water conservation, air quality, and even free recreation passes to kids, if that's not a nice way to talk about your accomplishments. Mm-hmm. And and so from her perspective as a Democrat, those are probably all selling points. Mm-hmm. This is, I'll just say, those are all reasons why I don't live in Salt Lake County. <laughs> I live in Utah County because a bunch of that stuff... I, I just look and go. You don't I, want to conserve water. You don't want affordable housing. You don't want air quality. Well, I, having fun. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> Thanks, free, free passes to the kitties and everything else like that. There's a certain point at which, what should government be doing? What shouldn't it be doing? And stuff like that. And what's the cost? So. Yeah. All right. And then we have, uh, you know, Sean Reyes, of course, announcing he's not going to run for re-election as our attorney general. Derek Brown, a lawyer, former chief of staff uh, to, um, you know, various candidates, but he's also the former chair of the Utah Republican Party. Well, well he's Dirk, in. Derek used to work for, for Mike Lee, used to work for Bob Bennett. So And he's yeah. in. And he's very good. This is someone I could get really excited about as attorney general. John? Well, uh, when we had problems in the Republican Party a few years back, Derek was the guy I called and gave the pitch of why he needed to, he had the right skill set and everything else to pull the party together and, and stuff like that. What so, is that skill set? Uh, the skill set is being able to listen to other parties, differing positions and stuff like that respectfully, mm-hmm. um, helping identify common ground between the warring factions and and not being heavy handed with them. Yeah. Recognizing it's a, a rough coalition 
especially when they're warring and you got to work to bring them together and help set a vision of where you're going. Yeah, I would ask Utah voters to really think long and hard about this opportunity to potentially put a Democrat in that seat. When we have seen the kind of ongoing challenges that uh, people have had in that office, given um, behavior, you know, conduct, mm-hmm. um, even just now, I, I'm really troubled that we don't, that the attorney general's office does not believe that the public should know what Sean Reyes is doing with that time. I think this kind of behavior makes me say maybe it's time to think about um, instead of just handing these statewide seats over, you know, kind of consistent, well, pretty consistently, at least for the last, what, 20 plus years more, um, that when we have true competition, people are asked to behave, I think, in a way that requires more accountability. So I would just ask people to take a look at the Democrat that comes forward when we get one. And who do you, any ideas on names? You I know, mean, you've got... Is the, there one? Yeah, I know that people are looking at it. This, I think it's a challenging role, right, um, for many reasons. But I, I think that we'll see a candidate, and I think we'll see a strong candidate in the new year. Yeah, just to remind folks, filing starts January 2nd, ends January 8th. That's right. So it is you've, coming up quickly. And you've got a gubernatorial candidate. We do. Brian King, Representative King, is um, leaving the House and running for governor. And again, I think this is an opportunity for us to think about when we consider all the challenges that we're having. What are we saying? Utah needs a king to have (laughs) just to have, uh, you know, I would say a very reasonable legislator who is uh, from an urban setting, I think, could serve us well. Uh, a little change of direction, but I've been riding uh, light rail quite a bit uh, recently. I've just been doing a lot of things downtown and the air quality and whatnot. Um, so I've just been on the train watching people, talking to people, but I noted... The people uh, watcher. Yeah. <laughs> what a sport. Well, when you're on I tracks, it. it's a lot of interesting characters and things. Um, but but uh, I saw that, uh, you know, we didn't get this grant to study uh, a high-speed connection from Salt Lake City to Boise in Las Vegas. Um, what, I, I would actually like us to look at this. Yeah. And and John, I'm guessing... Because, because why? Well, because I think about the future and I think about connectivity and I think about infrastructure investment and I think that it'd be good to have information on what value there is in having rail connectivity between these metro centers in the West. And, you, and you're thinking better than cars and better than planes? I want to understand it better. I want to study okay. it. Okay. Yeah, I took okay. the Acela from New York. This is our high speed, our Acela from New York to D.C. on my most recent visit. <laughs> and I'm just like, I was on the you know, high speed rail in France 20 years ago, and it was better than this. <laughs> yeah, I recently had the opportunity to take Amtrak from Seattle to Vancouver, and it was incredible. And when we think about, you know, you mentioned better than cars, better than planes. If we're thinking about the impact, I mean, I've had, I feel like I'm stuffy, but actually what's going on with me is the air, right? So the more that we continue to pack in uh, solutions that are car-based, when we think about the amount of air travel that is increasing with the expansion of the airport, that has a huge impact on our air quality in this airshed. Traveling by train is so deeply civilized, and it's also such an opportunity to think about, I think, expanding tourism paths. There are economic benefits that come with that. And I also think that one of the things that was really disappointing in that article was a big reason that we weren't selected was because there really was no um, I would say open-mindedness, mm-hmm. you know, attention, desire, uh, advocacy on behalf of our congressional delegation, or it sounds like many of our leaders at the local level. This is a miss for us. Mm-hmm. When we aren't in, at least in the conversation to learn more, mm-hmm. we get set back, I think. Yeah. John, what would you say? I mean, because you can't already know that it's a bad investment, right? Because you don't, you don't have the numbers, you haven't done the modeling. 
Well, you can look at some of the dynamics in other situations and go, gee, is it winning in other places? No. I mean, it is. I mean, if you're trying to book a, a travel, you're going to go somewhere by train. Yes, I, mean, I we just look at did. The, we look at the inconvenience <laughs> of planes these days, and trains are even more inconvenient. Have you traveled by train? Yes, I have traveled by train. In the United States, yes, and it was yes. inconvenient. Actually, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's incredibly inconvenient, inconvenient because our and, train and, picks up at midnight. That stinks. If it were at a good time, I think like, people would like take it. It's like one trip a day, and it I fits took, a certain window. I and everything. took the it's California like, oh, Zephyr. I think that's what we call it. But, uh, you know, on a ski trip to Colorado one time, and yeah, you know, you, you take all your ski stuff down to the Salt Lake Central Station, and you're there in the middle of the night waiting for it to come through. This is when you're going, you know, yeah. east. But, you know, so but I, John, I'm probably I, more of those get the planes, get the small planes, get them more frequently and stuff like that. So it just really fits My with people's lifestyle. My point is lifestyle. that this was a $500,000 federal grant that our Department of Transportation professionals felt like would be helpful to them to understand, to work through. And if it's important to them, fund it. Why are you begging the federal government for money that if you think it's important, fund it yourself? Because we give them a lot of money and it's nice to get some of it back. So I don't know. Hey, well, a quick holiday wish. Anything? Um, I just hope that people, um, you know, the reason for the season, I think, for me is peace. And this is a time we could use more of it. Reach out, serve others. Yeah, I'm going to go with the peace train as well. My son-in-law sat on Santa's lap at a family party recently. Santa said, what do you wish for? And he said, world peace. Yeah. I'm like, go for it. All right. Hey, it's been a great program, everyone. Uh, John Dougal, Shereen Gorbani, Natalie Gawkner. Our program's produced by Anthony Skoma. Thanks, everybody, for listening.